ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to the epistle of 1 John. So you go all the way near the very end of your Bible, uh, the epistle of 1 John and chapter 2. If you need a Bible this morning, just let us know. We can drop a Bible into your hands and that will help you make more uh, better use of our time together. There's also a note page in your bulletin. If you would pull that out, uh, we'll be kind of tracking along with that as well. Being real Christians in an unreal world. That is the epistle of 1 John. This is the Holy Spirit's five-chapter manual on how we can tell a real, authentic, genuine follower of Jesus from one who has merely borrowed the name Christian but is not real, is a fake, is is a phony follower. There are many in John's day, just as there are in our own day, who take the name Christian upon themselves, but who by their beliefs or by their behavior or by the way they fail to love, they prove they do not belong to Jesus and Jesus does not belong to them. We want to be real, church family, right? We want to be real Christians and we're determined that we will be real. And so here we are again this morning. Opening up the epistle of 1 John, chapter 2 this morning, verse 28 down through chapter 3 and verse 3 in our ongoing verse-by-verse journey. I am excited to step into God's word with you this morning because the next few moments hold within them the potential to not only enrich every real Christian's joy in Jesus, and I know your joy is already full because of the worship and the communion time we've shared together, But my hope is that uh, these will also be moments in which maybe someone who has yet to determine whether Jesus is going to be Lord in their life is going to say, today is the day and now is the time for me. And the subject that comes into view this morning is especially precious to me as well, because I've experienced uh, what we're going to be talking about in a personal uh, family way today, and I'm excited about sharing that. At the same time, I suspect that there is a blind spot for many of us as Christians with regards to the topic that we're going to be talking about, because you don't hear this this subject mentioned very much or celebrated all that much either. Yet it may well be the most powerful and wonderful aspect of what it means to be a Christian, not only in this life, but also for eternity. In fact, J.I. Packer, arguably one of the the most influential theologians of our time, says you cannot truly understand Christianity without understanding what we're going to talk about today. So what is the subject that we're going to zero in on? Well, as perhaps betrayed by the title there on your little note page, it is the nearly incomprehensible truth that the God of the universe has adopted us. He has adopted us as his own sons and daughters. You want to adopt me? The question says there on the title of your note page. Real Christians are and rejoice in their standing as sinners who have been adopted into God's house and into his family forever. And we're going to talk about that today. 1 John chapter 2, beginning of verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 
see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And we'll stop right there. Let me pray. Join me as we do so. And Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you now in these moments. And we commit our time to you in your word. We would ask that you, by your spirit, whom you've given to us as a special gift, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to see your truth. We do want to celebrate our relationship with you. We've already done that in a very special way. Let us continue to do that. Let our hearts overflow with our appreciation and gratitude to you for adopting us. We'll say thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 2, verse 28 through 3, 3 are going to be verses that we will focus on, not just today, but next time as well, because you may have already noticed there are two major themes that are residing within these five verses. What are those two themes? Well, the two themes are who we are and who we will be. Who we are. We are children of God, John says in verse 1. And we are God's children now, he says in verse 2. And who we will be, well, that centers on what happens to us when Jesus returns. His promise to come back, right? That's the other theme here, which we believe is very soon, that Jesus is coming back very soon. And so in verse 2, when he appears, we shall be like him because we'll see him as he is. That's the theme of his returning. Verse 28 said the same thing. When he appears, we will have confidence and not shrink back at his coming. So we have these two major themes in this section, who we are and who we will be. To say it another way, this section of 1 John holds fantastic truths about our adoption and also about our transformation. And they weave in and out of these five verses. And so our goal today will be to untangle these two main threads and see if we can can understand them a little bit better and even more rejoice in what they mean to us both personally and as a church family. So John begins in verse 28, and he says, And now, which clearly introduces, in John's way of thinking, a new direction. He's heading in a a new direction, a new way of thought for those who are reading his letter. Not all of us might know this, but I will say it just in case you don't know this. While the words of Scripture are Holy Spirit-inspired, they're breathed out by God, they come straight from him to us, while the words of Scripture are inspired, The same cannot be said for the chapters and verse breakdowns, right? We all are aware of that, yeah? Chapters and verses are uninspired tools. They are a human invention that scholars came up with centuries ago to help you and me navigate through the scriptures more effectively, and we're very glad to have those chapters and verses broken out for us. But here, chapter 3 really should start at verse 28. Because John is going in a, in a new direction with his thinking. And he says, and now little children. 
And if you've been with us from the beginning of our study series, you know that this is a, this is a favorite expression for John. Uh, he, it's, he's speaking to Christian friends uh, in the churches that he pastors, and, and he's an old man. He's in his 80s, and he looks at these believers, and he just has this fatherly care for them. They are his spiritual charges. He sees them in many ways like they're his spiritual kids. And, and so he says, and now, little children, abide in him, abide in Jesus Yet another exhortation to abide. And, and we've already heard this expression seven times in the verses right before this, this new section. John says, stay in it. Stand firm. Hold on. Remain. Never let go of Jesus. Persevere to the end with Jesus. And we've been talking about this for the last couple of mornings because we've learned that persevering is one of those rock-solid proofs that we're real, right? Those who are real, they stay with Jesus all the way till they see him face to face. And so John says, And now, little children, abide until Jesus appears. And so he connects this abiding to Jesus coming again, which is the second major theme in these verses, as we noted a moment ago. And it's the theme that we're going to kind of put off until next time, uh, we're going to come back to it. And so for that reason, we'll skip over the rest of verse 28 and over verse 29. Come back to them next time, which brings us to verse 1 of chapter 3. A verse that many of us perhaps uh, know from a song that we have sung for a long, long time. What song would that be? Well, see if you remember these words. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called sons of God. You ever sing that song? That comes right out of verse 1 of chapter 3. It's the King James Version of that. You're maybe carrying an NIV Bible with you this morning. And it renders verse 1 like this. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Behold what manner or how great the love. These translations are trying to capture what the Greek makes clear. John is rejoicing in this moment. He is celebrating in this moment as he writes. His spirit is spilling over with excitement, with joy. And in the ESV translation that we're, we're working out of today, it's the word see. And it's in the first position in the Greek sentence, which serves to kind of be like an exclamation point. John is, if he were living in our time, he would say, look, he would say, check this out. Do not miss this. See this. See, or I mean, he would go, oh, wow. Oh, wow. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. That's how you want to read this. Feel the emotion of this with with me. Don't read this with a detached yawn, right? You just can't do it because what John is is describing here is something, it's, it's unbelievably exciting to him, and it should be to us. It is worthy of emotion. He's describing the incredible, far-reaching extent to which the love of God has reached out to us. He's talking about the love of God being lavished 
or bestowed in your versions or it has been given to us. In fact, that word given or lavished or bestowed in the original Greek text, that's an interesting word because it's a word that has this little nuance attached to it in which it means a gift that comes from a faraway place. A gift that comes from a faraway place. It's not a local gift. And because it's God who is giving this love gift to us, we could say that it's a gift that comes from out of this world, right? I remember, as many of you might, when I was a little boy, my dad would, would from time to time go out of town and out of state on, on various business-related trips, and he would attend conventions and so forth in, in other places. And, and I just very distinctly remember my little brother and I, we were always eagerly waiting for my dad to come home from those trips because we knew every time he came home that he would bring a gift, right? Did your, dad, did, your, did your dad do that for you, bring a gift when he would go far away? Well, my dad did that. And so we loved our dad, but we really liked him when he came home with those gifts as well because they were not only gifts, but they came from a faraway place. They were extra special. To our little minds, um, that was something to be looking forward to. And that is the sense of John's amazement. From God himself, from the infinite creator God, who is so high, so holy, so exalted, so not of this world, comes a love gift to us that defies really our ability to comprehend it fully. And what is it that makes John gush with this amazement? What kind of love has God lavished on us? Well, it's the rest of verse 1. That we should be called, what? Children of God. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And and, and so we are. Present tense, right? Present tense. John is saying, this is not what we're going to be, brothers and sisters. This is what we are right now. Children of the one true living God. There's a kind of love that has come from far away, from the heavenly realms of glory. It was carried to us by the Lord Jesus. It was manifested to us at the cross. It was confirmed by the empty tomb. And it is lavished on us by God's undeserving grace through our faith in Jesus. And John says that God bestows or lavishes or gives this extraordinary love to us in a very special way. He adopts us. He adopts us as his own sons and daughters. He makes us his children. Divine adoption is the way that God expresses this incredible Love that he has for us. Now, the word adoption does not appear anywhere in the text. And yet, it is utterly spread over the entire text. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children, adopted children of God. And so we are. Verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now. Adopted. You know, most of us are familiar with adoption. Uh, If we've not experienced it personally or through our family, we're familiar with it. As a matter of fact, 
what's one of the special things about Ottawa Bible Church is that is that we have several families in our church family that are are either have or they are in the process of adopting children or fostering them right now with the intent to adopt. And this is such a great thing. I mean, we, we rally around these families. We pray for these moms and dads. We thank God for the process. And, and we just, we're just going with them as they move forward. Uh, excited to see them uh, bringing children into their home and into their families. When I was 14 years old, something very special, in fact, life-changing, took place in my family. Uh, the background for this moment involves my parents, both of whom came from non-Christian, unhealthy, dysfunctional, and in my dad's case, it was a broken home. My parents, as two 16-year-olds living in Denver, decided it would be best, uh, given their family situations, to quit school and run away, which they did. They ran away to Salt Lake City. They got married, and they were going to forge a new life for themselves on their own. Well, things were a lot harder on their own than they ever imagined, And with my mom now pregnant with me and my dad out of work, they went back to Denver. My folks were first-time parents at the age of 17. My little brother came along uh, shortly thereafter, two struggling teenagers now, age 19, two kids, Jesus not in their lives. It it wasn't a, a particularly promising beginning for my family. But when I turned five, the undeserved mercy and grace of God was poured out on my family. My dad's boss shared salvation in Jesus with him. My dad believed in the Lord Jesus, believed that Jesus was God, that that God had died on the cross for him, died to pay his sin debt, rose from the dead to prove that he was more powerful than my dad's sin. Our home was literally transformed when Jesus came to live there. My mom followed my dad in faith. And eventually, so did I, and so did my little brother. And my family story, brothers and sisters, from that time on, has been a story of unbroken blessing and kindness from the Lord. Well, as my brother and I grew older, it began to dawn on my folks that they would, by virtue of their earlier choices, be empty nesters with no kids in the house by the time they were 37. And they had a whole lot more love that they wanted to share, and they didn't want that empty nest thing to be their story at that moment. So uh, when I was 14, they adopted a newborn baby girl, six weeks old. And I remember that rainy September day as clear as if it were yesterday, standing in the adoption administrator's office, watching as my parents signed several pages of documents declaring their intent to become the father and mother of this little six-week-old girl and she was brought in and she was handed to my mom and my brother and I were just in awe just in awe in one astounding moment this little girl who we would name Rebecca who had no home who had no family unclaimed unwanted utterly powerless and helpless she became the legal living focus of our family Instantly, she was a Westcott, and it was as if she'd always been with us. 
There was nothing that we would not do for her, nothing we would not sacrifice for her. She would be a child of equal standing in our home with my brother Tom and me. Everything that we would be inheriting, she would be an inheritor of all of that as well. She had nothing, and she instantly became part of a family that loved her and called her their own. My sister lives today in Colorado with her husband, three children of her own, and I am so very glad to have her in my life and to have an adoption story to be able to relate to. Because this word adoption holds then a very special place in my heart when it, when I, whenever I think about my own salvation story. The day I said at the age of 12, God in heaven, I believe that Jesus, your sinless son, died for me, conquered my sin, paid my debt, and I ask you to forgive me and to save me and, and, and allow me to be with you forever. In that moment, God said, Tim, not only will I address the sin issue in your, in your life and forgive you, I will adopt you. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to make you my own. I will, from this point forward, be your eternal father. And Jesus will always be not only your savior, but he's going to be your brother. And I will adopt you and you will always be part of my house. You will always be part of my family. You belong to me. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. This is your story. This is my story if you have put your faith in Jesus, yes? This is you. This is me. On your page, here's an expanded definition of adoption as the Bible uses this term. And and I know you can read, so I'm not trying to insult you. Just let me read this for us, okay? This is a beautiful word used by the Holy Spirit to portray a tender and personal dimension of our salvation. Adoption refers to a gracious decision by God to confer the status of sonship upon any who place saving faith in Jesus. Adoption logically follows justification. That's a kind of a big theological word. Whereas justification focuses on God's legal declaration that the sinner is not guilty and fully righteous in his sight, adoption refers to the believer's new relationship with God as father. The sovereign judge acquits the sinner of every charge as Jesus pays the sinner's penalty. And then by adoption... This same judge goes beyond all expectation and from a place of love and grace makes the sinner a member of his family, a co-heir with Jesus of all that heaven holds. And all we can really say to that church family is what? Amazing. Amazing. That's what John is saying. It would be an unbelievably gracious and merciful act on God's part if all he did, brothers and sisters, was acquit us of the guilt and the penalty of our sin. That would be amazing grace, would it not? If that was the extent of salvation truth, we would say, praise be to God for such unmerited favor through Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. He clothes us in the righteousness of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, so that when he looks at us, 
He sees us as being as clean and righteous as his son. And then, then he goes even farther and he bestows on us all of the rights and privileges that belong to Jesus, his own son. He adopts us. Lovingly brings us into his family, gives us his last name, as it were, and commits to be our perfect father forever. Can we say this one more time? Can we say these two verses out loud together, church family? Let's do it. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. And we say, Amen and amazing. Right? John wants to make sure we don't miss. It's a right now reality. And so we are. We are God's children now. It's not something we're waiting to get. It's an unbelievable reality. And it's really true. On your note page near the bottom, just in case we might wonder if John alone is the champion of adoption truth, a few more passages that tell us about this amazing thing. Romans 8, 15 to 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry, Abba, Father, The Holy Spirit says through Apostle Paul's pen that we can address God as Abba. Now, if you're fairly new to the Christian faith, you may be wondering, what in the world does that mean? Abba. Well, Abba is the Aramaic word for daddy or papa. The ancient documents tell us that that Abba was how small children addressed their fathers. The Talmud says that children called their mothers Ima and they called their fathers Abba. It's not all that different from our English, Mama and Papa. You know, from time to time, Brandon will be here doing worship warm-up and all that, and his little boys, three boys, will be in the sanctuary. And I'll come in, and I'll hear them interacting with their dad. And do you know what they call him? They don't call him Father. They call him Papa. And it's just really cute to hear them say, Papa, Papa. Papa, and it just relates this, this kind of intimacy. There's a, there's a, there's, it just says a ton about the relationship. It's Papa. Brothers and sisters, here is the love of God. He doesn't want us to, to fear Him as judge or view Him as some kind of a, of a distant, disconnected God, the originator perhaps and the provider of salvation. He says, call me Papa. We say, really? We can do that? We can do that. You can do that. What an intimate, close, personal, revealing word. But you've received, continue back with Romans 8, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, say it, children of God. God wants us to know that we are His, and so He sends His own Spirit to us to assure us of our status. And if children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And then there's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That is before Jesus in love. He predestined us for what? Adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Clearly, adopting us through Jesus is something that God really, really wants to do. Uh, He wants to make us members of his house. He doesn't have to do this. He does this according to his own will and want. He wants to adopt us. And then if you flip your study page over, the Apostle Paul writing to the Galatians says in Galatians 4, 4 4-7, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive what? Adoption of sons. And because we are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We say, Amen. And amazing. God's love is so over the top that it just defies comprehension. God does something that our salvation did not require. We're saved without adoption. Do you understand that? We're saved without adoption. We're in heaven without adoption. We're made righteous and holy without adoption. But God, to show the wonder of the fullness of his love, takes it to a whole other level. God, John again says, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called what? children of God, the adopted children of God, and so we are. God not only forgives us of our sin, He changes our relationship status from enemy of God to fully adopted son or daughter in His family. Is that not grace? Is that not love? This changes forever how we relate to God. We relate to him in a way, brothers and sisters, that angels in heaven have never experienced. Do you understand that? The the angels in heaven, they are God's servants. We're God's children. God is their God and their king and their master, and he is all of that to us. But the defining relationship that we have with God, that he's not just our God and our king and our savior, he is our Abba. He's our papa. He's daddy. That's breathtaking. That is awe-producing. It's all wrapped up in this gift from a faraway place. The extravagant, lavish, incomprehensible love of God. He adopted me. As you see there on your note page, our adoption comes with all kinds of benefits Let's just kind of work our way down through these rapidly, given the time we have. When God adopts us, we get a brand new name and identity, don't we? Just like my sister did. We're God's children. According to Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, we used to be called sons of disobedience. We used to be called children of wrath. Not exactly a family name to be proud of, right? That's what we were before Jesus. But John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 says... But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become what? 
the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but the will of God himself. True faith in Jesus, we're forever going to be called God's kids. We get a new name, new family name. A second benefit of our adoption, Jesus is not only our Savior, but he is our brother. He's our brother. Hebrews 2.11, check this out. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. When you see Jesus face to face, do you think that he will call you brother or sister? He's not ashamed to do that because you have been adopted into the family of which he is part. Yeah? It's amazing. We become brothers and sisters of Jesus. And then by extension, if we placed our faith in Jesus, we, we become brothers and sisters of one another, right? Which is why often in the course of my sharing with you on a Sunday morning, what do I call you? I call you brothers and sisters. Why? Because we share the same family name through faith, right? We are brothers and sisters, and we should love each other and treat each other as such. Third, we experience the intimate indwelling of the Holy Spirit as part of our adoption. Check this out, Luke chapter 11, verse 13. It's in a passage where Jesus is talking about prayer, and Jesus says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So determined is our Father that we should see him as Papa, so much does he want us to relate to him in that way that he puts himself in us by his spirit so that we will do that. Fourth, we get to call God our Father. In John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus, following his resurrection, makes this wonderful statement to Mary in the garden. This is on Easter morning. He says, go to my brothers. Ah, there's that word. Yeah. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. We get to call God by the same names that Jesus does. Why? Because we've been adopted. Because we're brothers and sisters to him. Amazing. But true. Number five, we receive special care and provision from our Father. Matthew chapter 7, part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in verses 9 to 11, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your what? Your Father, your Abba, your Papa who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. If we as sinful, fallen moms and dads know how to respond kindly to our children, Jesus says, does it not stand to reason that our perfect, sinless, holy Father God would be sure to care for us and respond to us in the perfect way? That's one of the benefits of being adopted. Six, it comes to us... um, As a benefit in this respect, we experience the loving and good discipline of our Father. Now, this is the one we probably don't like so much, right? The benefit that we don't like. Listen, as the writer of Hebrews explains it. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as 
sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, if if your parents don't discipline you, they don't love you. They don't care about you. Verse 9. Besides this, we have all earthly had, had earthly fathers who disciplined us. We respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Our Heavenly Father has adopted us. And part of our adoption is discipline. Is it a good thing? It is a very good thing. It is a loving thing for God to do this, though it hurts at times. And then number seven there, our adoption by God. We are heirs with Jesus and the father of the heirs with Jesus of the father's eternal kingdom and glory. Romans 8, 17 puts it like this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share In his glory. That is to say that since all of heaven, everything that is or ever will be is the rightful inheritance of the Son, the Lord Jesus, and we are his brothers and sisters by adoption, what is ours? All of heaven, right? All that heaven is and all that will ever be is ours by inheritance as well. It's a rather extraordinary thought that Jesus would wish to share his inheritance with us. But brothers and sisters, he does. And that comes with our adoption. Now, as an extension of that thought, before we leave this great word this morning, let me just share another facet of our adoption with you that perhaps you have never, ever considered before. I had a seminary professor um, who pointed this out to me one day uh, 35 years ago, I'm guessing now. I have never forgotten it. I hope you will not either. He invited me to turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, which I did, and he asked me to read, and it goes like this. The Lord God took the man, he's referring to Adam, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Those are the important words, to work it and to take care of it. My professor said, have you ever stopped to consider that before mankind's fall into rebellion and sin, God assigned him the very honorable vocation of being a gardener, of being a caretaker in Eden. Had there never been humankind's plunge into sin and and the bringing of death and separation that comes with sin, we, you and me, very likely would be nurturing and caring for the great garden of God right now. Do you ever think about that? You would all be gardeners. I would be a gardener in this vast estate called the Garden of Heaven, the Garden of God. Certainly not an unenjoyable assignment, right? Gardeners in the Eden of God. But mankind did rebel and did sin, and and sin entered his heart, and separation from God occurred. And we said in Genesis chapter 3, forget you, God. We We can do a better life without you than with you. And we walked away from him. And God in his justice could have said, very well, very well, you shall, you shall live forever with the consequences of your sin, spiritually dead and separated from me. But from his place of love, from his place of grace, he gives us Jesus. 
He offers salvation. He makes possible a different story for each one of us. He saves forever those who place their faith in His Son. And then what does God do? What does God do? Does He merely restore us to our pre-fall vocation of gardener? Does He send us back to Eden to turn the dirt? If that's what He did, we might say, great, great, to be restored to the place from which we had fallen, that would be incredibly generous on your part, God. In fact, had we lost that privilege and been demoted to some lesser role than gardener, we would have thought we were getting off great, right? But is that what God does? No, no, because that's not who he is. That's not how his love and his grace work. What does God do on the heels of the saving work of Jesus? He gives us infinitely more than we lost, right? That's what he does. And then my professor had me read Romans 8, 17. Now, if we're children, if we've been adopted, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. In other words, God calls us out of the field and into the mansion, into the big house. He transfers our belongings from the servants' quarters, from the gardener's house, to the best room in the master's house, heaven's house. He changes our whole standing, our whole status by virtue of adoption. From gardener in the service of God to a member of his family. How does that make you feel? That blows you away, doesn't it? It blows me away. We are brother to his son and we are heir, co-heirs with Jesus of everything that life in the mansion is. God becomes our father and we are overjoyed to be his children and to call him Papa. Anyone who says, oh, if we could just go back to Genesis 2, back to Eden, wouldn't that be great? And I would say, no, that would not be great. Do you want to go back to being a gardener? Or do you want to be an heir of all that heaven holds by virtue of adoption? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children, adopted children of God. And so we are. Amen? And amazing. Let's pray. What do we say? What do we say? Papa, what do we say to you? But thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We were dead. You made us alive. We were lost in sin. You paid our debt. You could have turned us back to gardening. But you brought us into your house. You gave us your last name. You've adopted us. It's all legal. It's all done. It's who we are right this moment. We are now children of the living God. Sons and daughters of the King of Heaven. By nothing that we have done, but by everything that you have done for us. And what do we say? But thank you. 
Oh, Heavenly Father, if there be even one in this room this morning who has yet to give their life to Jesus and to become your son or daughter, may today be the day and now be the time. Pour out, lavish your love on this one who is wondering where you should be in their life. And Lord, if we can help, point us to that person or persons today. We love you as our Papa, but only because you loved us first. And all God's children said, Amen and Amen.